as we continue with the uh, series called Double XL. That is the reason for this Double XL t-shirt uh, being on here. And um, just as I begin, I, I often did this, and I've gone out of the habit of doing it, but I try to find such stories that will be a little bit humorous, that will make us laugh. So uh, please laugh at the end of it. Not all like as in fake, because it's on podcasts, but uh, I think it is quite hilarious in some ways, if you think about it. Uh, walking down the street, there was a man, and he passed a house, and he was noticing this, this little boy trying to reach the doorbell. And no matter how much this little boy was trying to stretch, he just couldn't make it. So the man called out to him and said, let me get that for you. So he bounds into the porch area and rings the doorbell. And the little boy turns to him and says, thanks, mister. Now let's run. <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about how do we help and partner with one another in terms of passing on, passing on. Over the last three weeks, we've looked from Isaiah 54, the need to strengthen our stakes, to lay in foundations into our lives. We also looked at the need to lengthen our ropes, lengthen our cords, because God wants to send us out. He wants to do more with our lives. And lastly, we looked at the whole idea of multiplication, how God wasn't just wanting us to add, he wanted to multiply our influence and our impact. And this morning, I want to look at the need to pass on, because we see it clearly in these verses. So let's read them together, shall we, from verse 2. It says there, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. And your descendants or your seed or your children will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. That's a word for somebody this morning. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Don't you just love God's word? Like the Apostle Paul, I don't consider yet to have arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus took hold of me. And there is a prophetic call from these verses for such a time as this. There is a prophetic announcement that comes out of the pages. If we will listen and if we will have an ear to hear, then we will hear it this morning. It's the call to dispossess and settle in those awestruck places. Those places, those towns, those communities that have been ravaged by hopelessness. Ravaged by apathy. Ilkeston, Mansfield, the Erewash area, Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire, the East Midlands. 
the nation, the nations of the world, villages, towns, hamlets, housing estates, cities, places, groaning with pain. Groaning with pain. I wonder if you can hear it this morning. We, we, Phil's already alluded to it. We got a sense of that where there's a young man who was literally groaning with pain to the point where he felt utterly hopeless that there was any sense of purpose for him. And so he decided to take his own life. Now I'm with you, Phil. I actually believe that Liam is in the presence of the Almighty this morning. A number of weeks ago, not too many weeks ago, we had, and Hank was involved in this, and I have to be careful because of podcasts, but a number of our food bank team had a a connection with a young man on Friday, and then by the weekend, he had decided that his life was not worth living, so he hung himself. It's the second one that we've had in, in, in not many weeks. And I feel this. I want to tell you, I feel it. I feel it. Because there's people who are groaning with pain. <laughs> so when people say to me, why do you do what you do, Christian? And some people have said to me, why don't you just, why don't you just stay in in the business and making money and and just doing all those kinds of things. You know why we do what we do? Because I can't help it. Because I can just hear, Phil, I can hear the pain. I know it might sound a bit, but I just can sense the pain of people. So that's why I do what I do. And that's why we're calling you to do what you do. Because there's a lot of people in a lot of pain around this area. And our call, prophetic call, is for us to arise, to awake, to strengthen, to lengthen, to use plenty of rope, to think big, to believe for multiplication, and believe that as we spread out to the right and to the left, as we raise up a generation, we're going to see us settle in those desolate cities and dispossess those places ravaged by the enemy himself. This dispossessing, you may say, well, I'm for it, Christian, because I can feel the pain. It's as though you knew what was happening with my work colleague, because you work with these people. You live next door to them. You hear their stories. And you may say, well, how can we make a difference? Well, I really believe that they will happen as we work together in partnership, as we give away what we have. I'll come back to that in a moment. As we give away what we have. Now Isaiah, let's look at it again if we can just put it on the screen just for a moment because let's settle on that, that verse again in verse 3. Let's just be clear on it. He says, for you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants. Those who are following by actual paper Bible, it would be worth noting even if you have a pen to just write at the side of that, your descendants means your children. Your seed, your offspring. And we're not just talking in terms of a a natural sense of my kids, so Annie, Eleanor, Isaac and Lilia, although they're involved in that. We're talking about sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. We're talking about boys and girls 
young people, men and women, who are going to come in, and it's almost like, you know, you've, you've fathered them into the faith. You've mothered them into the faith. Do you understand? Some of you here, even though you are 40, you, you made a commitment to Christ, and it's like you've just been brought in, you've been birthed into something new. This is what we're talking about. So it involves us all. And your descendants, those people who you are touching, those people who you are praying for, those people who you are impacting and discipling and encouraging and help, they and we are going to be the people who are going to dispossess and settle in those desolate cities. I believe it in Jesus' name. I really, really believe it in Jesus' name. And this working together, this idea of passing on is a powerful concept if embraced. One of the greatest examples of passing on, and in a few moments we're going to show a video. And thanks so much to those who've helped me with that this morning and during the week, because I know it's been a bit of a challenge. But we're going to see one of the greatest visual examples of passing on, and it's through a relay race. I want to take you back to the summer of 2012. You thought I was going to say summer of 69. Well, I wasn't. Because I was just a twinkle in my mum and dad's eye at 69. But it's the summer of 2012. And what happened this year in London? We hosted the greatest Olympics ever. Come on. I'm going to do that now. We've hosted the greatest Olympics ever. Epic. It was, without a doubt. I don't care what anybody, the Aussies can say, if any Aussies here, you can say what you want. We don't believe you. Okay. It's the greatest Olympics ever. And I was glued to the, to the set just through many different things. You know, you got into all kinds of sports. And even for those who were non-sporty, I think just engaged in the whole party atmosphere. But we saw the greatest 4 by 100 meter relay of all time. Individually, it was brilliant, but collectively, it was unbeatable. And I wonder if we could just show the clip now, so we can just, might be a couple of minutes long, and then we'll make some comments. Thank you so much. That's awesome. 
Did anyone want to just get out of your seat? Can I, can I ask, who, yeah, who was, who, was, who was watching it live and who was up at the screen just shouting at it? Just, yeah, there was a lot of us. It was just absolutely terrific. Let me just make the statement again. You see, that what we've just seen there, and forgive me that if those who have no interest in sports or athletics, but individually, it was brilliant, but collectively, it was unbeatable. You see, the run-up to the championship was this. There was, the Jamaicans were, have just got some supreme runners, as have the Americans, but clearly the Jamaicans have just taken great strides over the last few years. And leading up to the championship, there was the young pretender by the name of Johan the Beast, Blake. And he was the training partner of Usain Bolt, for those who aren't aware of that. And he had beaten Bolt, my understanding is, on two occasions leading up to the Olympics. People in the press were saying, is he injured? Other people were saying, is he too old? Others even said further, has he lost his appetite? But Usain Bolt answered his critics by retaining his Olympic crowns in both the 100 and the 200 meters. But you see, it's not an individual that beats, that wins the relay race. It takes four runners to run such a race. It takes four runners. It's the greatest relay race of all time because it was the world record. So it has to be the greatest relay race of all time. That's why I can be very clear. And it is astounding that four men can be so quick. And when it got to Johan Blake, you just knew then, and he absolutely powered it round the bend. And then it did come to the master himself, the bolt, and he was doing all this at the end. Just supreme, supreme running, even for those who aren't into it. I was reflecting on what does it take to win a relay race? What does it run to win any race or any competition where a team needs to be involved? I just want to give you three things in terms of what this means to us in the church, and then I want to talk about what we need to pass on. So first of all, You see, we must understand this if we're going to work together and dispossess the nations. Number one, everybody say number one, we need one another. We need one another. Paul says himself, please don't the hand say to the, I know he didn't quite use the same things, but you understand, he didn't say to the hand, you know, to the head, I don't need you, or to the foot, to the limb, I don't need you. What he was basically, if you're reading through in 1 Corinthians, it's talking about how each body part is needed to function. We need each other. The Bible says one chases a thousand, but two tens of thousands. You see, I I just wish we just enter into this in the church, because I want to say again, you may run individually, absolutely brilliant, but collectively, we're unbeatable. The problem is getting people on the same page to run collectively. I'm not talking about cloning. I'm not talking about robotics. I'm not talking about individualistic flair. We all want that and different personalities. I'm not like Phil and Phil's not like me and you'll say thank God for that. Oh, I thought we'd add more of an amen about that. We're different. But when we bring, if I can say this, our individual brilliance, I'm not quite sure that I have too much brilliance around many things, but our individual brilliance, and I combine my brilliance in certain areas with Phil's brilliance, we become collectively unbeatable. 
Somebody said to us in the week, the reason why I came to this church was when I saw yours and uh, Phil's relationship. It just struck me. We'd been in a number of churches and we thought, is this for real? And they've now realized a year or so on that actually it is for real. We need one another. The second thing we need to do, everyone say number two. We need to run the same race. You may say, well, that's a bit basic. No, actually, we need to run the same race. Let me give you now an understanding of this. You see, we have to willingly submit your individuality to the greater good of the team. So you've got to be willing to submit your individuality to the greater good of the team. It's no good you saying Bolt saying, it is, I know he wasn't the first runner, but let's say he's the first runner. And there's three other runners there. He gets the baton. On your marks. And he goes. And he thinks, I'm the fastest man in the world. I don't need these three guys. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep running. Now let's say, for instance, he passed the line. Let's say he actually passed the line first. The first thing that would happen is this. Number one, you've, disqual- you've just been disqualified. Because it's not your race to just run on your own. Do you get that? It's important that we understand. You see, you may say, well, I'm not going to pass the baton. I'm just going to keep running. No, 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 no. In a race, in a relay race, there are many different runners. And we have to learn to pass on, even though we are running the same race. You see, we have to run the same race. We have to be on the same page. You may say, well, I'm running with you, Christian, but actually you're, you may be there, but you're not on the same page. And if we're going to advance and grow to the glory of God, if God is going to take Arena Church for such a time as this and extend our influence, then we need to make sure that we're running the same race. There may be some disagreements at times. That's fine. But we have to learn to agree at times to disagree and just get on the same page. You've heard that phrase, haven't you? Get on the same page. Why is it that sometimes we have to be saying, guys, get on the same page, and yet people don't? In any organization, in any home, in any family, let me use the family illustration. If you want harmony in your family, what, and you've got a few kids, what do you need to then do? You need to say, guys, get on the same page. Because if they don't get on the same page, there's going to be all sorts of conflict in the family. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Has anybody experienced that in their families? Absolutely. Teenage kids, they've got an agenda. Guys, get on the page. But I don't like the page, Dad. Tough, I wrote it. It's my page. Annie, Eleanor, it's my page. Number three, we need to exercise the truth of deferring and preferring. If we're going to run a race, if we're going to dispossess, you may say, because this is, what I wanted to do was try and look at it, how it, the corporate, and then what are we going to pass on, just to this last few minutes. But we need to exercise the truth of deferring and preferring. For some of you, that's not new language. For others, it is. Let me talk about what deferring and preferring means. But before I do that, the foundation of it is love and respect. Deferring and preferring means that you actually give credit to other people. Deferring and preferring means that even though you may be 
the leader in your home, husband in your home, actually your wife has great benefits. And in some ways she becomes the leader in a particular area because that's her area of strength. How does this play out with Phil and I again, using it as an example, and we've all, people have got hung up on this whole thought of senior pastor and I'm the senior pastor. We never use those titles. Actually, I become senior pastor in many, many areas. And then there's many, many areas that actually fill. I defer as senior pastor in many areas. Let me give you an example of that. Of Bible, Bible training, discipleship. That whole area of just his expertise. I want to tell you, I come to him and just talk me through this. Don't I? Talk me through this. What are you thinking? What are you seeing? Which in many contexts, that doesn't, uh, uh, you know, isn't even on, on, the, on the page because... We automatically think that it's my race and I'm running this because it's my race. And actually, we need other people. We need to learn to defer and to prefer. We need to learn to give credit. I was saying to a guy this week, I said, if you don't get this, a younger guy, I said, if you don't get this nailed very quickly, you're going to run through life, ministry life, preaching life, very, very insecure. I says, because you must understand if you want to work in the context of team, to bring team in, you need strong players in your team. And that means to say some of these guys that you're bringing in are going to be better preachers, better communicators than you. And what are you going to do when the guy who you are working with gets a standing ovation and you never get one? How are you going to cope with that? I could speak out of experience. He's had that many standing ovations for you guys. And I'm thinking, when's my coming? I'm joking. But it's serious. You have to nail these things. Defer and prevent. And this isn't just rhetoric. Have, we've settled these things. Committed to these things. Because we want to run the race together. Guys, I want to run the race with you. But if you're forever wanting me to be the, ha, I'm the superstar. I am going to be very bold. This is not the church for you. Because actually we want to run the race together, sometimes in a squad, in a team, there are those people who are just the ones moving on, yeah? And then there's other people who just hold the position. You can look at different sporting analogies. I have no idea who the other two Jamaican runners are. I know some clever person will tell me, Phil, but I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea who the other two runners are. And yet, weren't they outstanding? Yeah. I have no idea. But it wasn't just Usain Bolton, Johan Blake, who won that relay. Hello? They're the ones who've got the accolades. They're the ones because they're doing this and one's doing this. I mean... (laughs) Deferring and preferring. I'm settling there because you've got to nail it. Got to nail it. Why have we got to nail it? Well, if we don't, together we're not going to dispossess nations. We're just going to keep falling out. We're going to keep going around in circles. We're going to be like the children of Israel who will wander around a desert for another 40 years. From the, from the early on, I've been dreaming of revival. I only realized from a young boy, Colin, I've been dreaming of revival. Singing songs of Revival. I used to think, well, well, you know, 20, I'm fully, I'm now 20 years on. Where are we, guys? Come on. Could this be our day? Could this be our hour?
could this be the time that we just say we're going to throw aside our, just our individuality and collectively we're going to be unbeatable because we want to see communities that are groaning with pain touched. You see, going back to the verses again, Isaiah 54, it talks about your descendants. For me, this speaks of a multi-generational, older and younger. And what it isn't, what I'm not talking about is succession here. Just to be clear, I'm talking about young and old running together, working together. I'm not talking about just leaving it alone. We run together. So important across the life of this church is I see many younger people and then I see some very, very wise people. I see some very wise young people. I see some very wise older people. I see some very stupid young people. I see some very stupid older people. I wasn't looking at anybody. I was just trying to. (laughs) Multi-generational working together with the purpose. Now, just for the last few minutes, you say, that's great, Christian. We're going to run together. But this whole thing of this analogy of a relay, what are we passing on? Good point. What are we passing on? See, there are some people here, you may be one of them. You arrived, you live, you die. And that is it. You arrive, you live, you die. The masses of people, that's how they live their life. It's never the way that God intended us to live our lives. We're always going to arrive. But he wants us to really live. He wants us to really live. We're all going to die unless he comes back again before that time. But I don't just want to die. I want to leave something. I want to pass something on. See, some people are so taken up with their lives that they forget to think long. Remember the September series? Last four week of the circle maker, think long. So I want to tell you, we had a 10-year vision. You heard that. Five years ago, we developed a 10-year plan. I'm already now in my heart of hearts. I haven't spoken to the guys thinking 10 years now, another 10 years. Where will we be? What will God allow us to do? Thinking long. Who's going to go on the journey? Who's going to rise up? Some of the kids that have gone out to kids' church, they're going to be the next leaders coming through. I believe it. I really do believe it. See, many examples of passing on in the Bible. The patriarchs with their children. Elijah and Elisha. Samuel anointing David. The Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 being poured out and passing on. Then we see two clear examples that I can see in the New Testament, Ananias and Saul. And then I see those verses in Scripture that I love where uh, Paul speaks to his true son in the faith, Timothy, through my laying on of hands. There's a passing on, which I absolutely love the thought of. I want to just take you, though, to one particular example as we close and if you've just got your Bibles, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, we're going to read the text together. And then there's just three things that I have determined as I think long what I am going to leave with you guys, what I want to leave in the community by God's grace. This isn't boastful. And what I certainly want to leave with my children. 
I want them to get these three things about me. They'll become very, very clear to you as I, as I speak them. So, Acts chapter 3. Let's look at an illustration where there was something that was passed on. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, look, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have, I give you. You can't give what you haven't got. He didn't have any money, but he did have something that was more valuable than money. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What great verses of scripture. Pass it on. Just nudge the person next to you and say, pass it on. Pass it on. Pass what on? Pass what on? You see, you can only give what you have. You can't give what you don't have. This lame man received hope, health, purpose, and joy. And it was all received as Peter passed on. It was all received as Peter passed on. Our call is not just to arrive, to live, and to die. Our call is to arrive, to really live, to die, but also to leave an inheritance. Proverbs 13 verse 22, a good life from the message, a good life gets passed on to the grandchildren. Ill-gotten wealth ends up with good people. In the Amplified, it says this, a good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children. Now, some of you here suffer with the fact that your children are not following God. I want to tell you, you've left a value in them. They may not be following God how you want them to follow God, but there's something in them that they get and they know, and it will not leave them. You have to believe that in Jesus' name. You have to believe that, and I do believe it. But there are three things that I want to pass on. It's not about houses. It's not about bonds. It's not about shares. And it's not about cash. But I'm not opposed to leaving those things with your kids either. Don't do enough so you spoil them to death. But it's not a bad thing to just leave something that you can be buried with dignity. And they have a little bit of a head start. So I'm not against speaking against those things. But these three things that for me that I'm talking about are worth more value to my kids and to these kids here around who and more to come than money and, and uh, stocks and shares and bonds. Are you ready for them? Very quickly. And then we'll close. Number one, I'm determined to pass on passion. Passion. I am committed to my kids living with a sense of passion, whatever that may be. Passion for life, passion for adventure, a passion for this house, for this house, a passion for this house, a passion for the house of God, a passion for people, I'm committed to it. And it isn't just how loud I shout, but I hope the one thing that comes across from me is, there's a young guy 
I know I'm stretching the young guy again, but younger guy who is full of passion. I hope you get that. Every week, Phil does it and I do it. We don't just work it. It's just burning in our hearts, genuinely. The guys around here, the staff, I hope that's what they see. When I walk in, I just a passion for the things of God. That's why sometimes I can get a little bit animated. I can get a bit emotional. I can get a bit worked because I'm passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. And some of you need a good dose of passion. I've said this before many times. Go and if you've got a wife, go and snogger. <laughs> if you haven't got a wife, well, just go steady. All right. Just passion, a passion for life. One of the things I have a passion for increasingly, it's happened this year, reading and how God's been doing, a passion for his presence. I want to leave a passion for his presence, for this church to be just passionate about the presence of God, passionate about the things of God, passionate about the community, passionate about lost people, passionate about hurting people. Yes? passionate. Second thing that I really believe that I want to pass on is purpose, a sense of purpose. People live life aimlessly. And if you have no idea what you want to do, then just try and work those things through carefully and prayerfully. And if need be, seek good advice, good godly counsel. But for goodness sake, get a sense of purpose. Don't just get up in the morning, shower, clean your teeth, get dressed, have your breakfast, go out to work, do your eight-hour shift, come back, shut your door, watch Cora. That is not a sense of purpose. That is not a sense of purpose. I'm not against getting up, doing all those things, going to work because you need to do those. But in the midst of it, have a sense of passion. Yes, passionate about the things of God. Purpose about the things of God. What am I doing with my life? Who can, I, who can I connect with today? Who can I reach out to? What's happening in the local community? How can I connect with the community? How can I connect with young people? How can I make a difference with children? How can I make a difference in other co- continents of the world? Are you hearing me? Purpose. Purpose. <laughs> Devotion. Direction. Perseverance. All things, if I can say this to my CD, she's literally on the front, Annie, it's what I wanted to live with. I'm not worried that our kids and some of your kids are coming to that options time, they have no idea what they want to do. That's okay, but, in, it, but it won't be okay if they're hitting 30. I don't mind when they're 15, 16 trying to work it through, but just help them, not force them, but help them to get a sense of purpose. And not your purpose. It's not about my purpose. About their purpose. So wherever Annie wants to work, within reason, because there are some things that I can think about. <laughs> then, sense of purpose. You see, this purpose we must understand when we're dealing with our kids. I don't know why I put this down, but sometimes we have to leave our kids to fight some fights on their own. Or otherwise, if you battle for your kids all the time, they'll grow up as babies. My parents are here today. There were certain things that they take on and then there's other things. It's not because they were hard or harsh. They just let us get on with. 
It's how we developed. And my brothers here, how we developed into men. Just the way it is. I feel like I'm being brutal again because last week I said suck it up, but it's just true. Sometimes you have to fight some fights. And this generation that's going to dispossess you, you're going to have some fights to fight. There's some fights we won't let you fight because they're our fights and we need to deal with them. Hello? We're not asking you to deal with the stuff that we couldn't deal with because we were too weak to deal with them. We need to deal with those. But then there's some other things that you will need to deal with. And lastly, passion, purpose. Are you still with me this morning? These are three things that I want to pass on. Passion, purpose, and principles. Principles. I read a book by Paul Paul Bilheimer, who I now understand is in the presence of God, written in 1984, talking about providence. I was so impacted by this book whilst I was away. Just a beautiful, old, treasured little book. And in it, he writes, O for men of principle. I underlined it, O for men and women of principle. Principle. So that means we actually, the things that we believe, we live by. We, we live by, we do them. Even though it's to our detriment and cost, they're called convictions. And these convictions undergird our life because if we have no principles, no convictions, no values, we'll be blown about. The Bible tells us so. We'll just be blown about by everything. So we do have some standpoint with regard to marriage. We do have some standpoint with regard to sexuality. We do have standpoints with regard to abortion. We do have standpoints with regards to the economy and how it's being managed. We do have standpoints with regard to all that's happened in the world with regard to temperature changes and all the rest. We do have some convictions. We do have convictions that when it says don't lie, we don't lie. We do have convictions that says don't steal, so we don't steal. Hello? Principles. Values, foundations, truths. These are the three things. I'm sure there's others, but these are three things that I can really believe that we need to pass on. As we work together and pass on these things to others, we need to believe for transformational change. So let me take you back to the texts. Your descendants, as we work together in that relay race, as we work multi-generationally, as we have something to pass on, then we will see our communities transformed and changed for the better. Those people who feel abandoned, those people who feel lonely, those people who are at this moment groaning, writhing in pain, we will have the ability to touch and reach them for the glory of God. I will say this, is it that we're here for such a time as this? Could it be? This morning you may have never given your life to Jesus, so you have no sense of purpose. While every eye is closed and head is bowed, Just in these seconds that we have, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you just know that you're living with no sense of purpose, I'm going to ask you now where you are, just to raise your hand where you are. If you say, yes, Christian, I need Jesus as my saviour, just raise your hand where you are now.